When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think, you know, health, it doesn't matter if you're royal or not, or if you're a multi-billionaire or not. You know, the reality is it can affect you at any time, and this is what's happened here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to A Right Rule Podcast with me, Emmy. And me, Emily. Wait, what? What's... Where's Andrea? Oh, I think she's sunning herself on a beach somewhere. Yes, yes. Quite outrageously. She is in St. Lucia. She is indeed. I hope you're having a lovely time, Andrea. We are not bitter at all. Uh, we're, yes, enjoy yourself on holiday whilst we hold the fort. Because there's not much going on. No, no, it's been a really quiet week for you, Emily, specifically. I'm still standing, just about. <laughs> well, you may not have been expecting an update from us this quickly. Obviously, we weren't expecting it either. We've just done an episode of the podcast where we spoke about how glad we were that the king has been doing well after his hospital stay. So the pretty blind signing news that he has cancer this week has really shocked everyone. Emily, what can you tell us about it? Well, I mean, it's. I feel somewhat attempted fate on Monday afternoon when I messaged a friend and said, oh, would you fancy going for a drink? There's not much happening on the Royal Beat. And yeah. about half an hour later, got a call from somebody saying, could I be on standby because... There was likely to be a big announcement coming out from the palace and lo, it came to pass. Right. Look, it's obviously shocking given that, you know, we saw the king and queen at Sandringham just a day before and he appeared to be on good form. You know, he was yeah. waving to the crowds. Seeming good spirits. Yeah, yeah. And the line from the palace had very much been that he was continuing his recovery at Sandringham. The focus, and in fact, a lot of the concern had been directed more to Princess of Wales, you know, because she still hasn't been seen. She's not likely to be seen out on duties until after Easter. So his case looked relatively straightforward. Mm. Doctors found, however, during this procedure, another form of cancer is important to state. we don't know what kind. We don't know what kind, but we do know that it's not prostate cancer. And the palace have been very clear about this, I think, because they didn't want to be accused of having misled anyone in talking about his benign condition, which remains benign. Sure, right. But why aren't they disclosing what cancer? I mean, I know, obviously, it's he has complete right to medical privacy, but they've obviously been very open about his health. So why do you think they're keeping that element private? Well, a couple of reasons. I think, first and foremost, this is a new, recent diagnosis. Yeah. We know that the King was only really telling family and friends in the days before the wider announcement. And I think it's understandable that he needs a bit of time to get his own head around it and get to grips with his treatment plan, have everything in place before they talk more about it. And I think it's enough to say that he has cancer for people to understand the seriousness of this condition and the fact that he is not going to be carrying out public-facing engagements for a while. They had to explain it while also retaining some privacy for him as an individual. And it may be in the full course of events that we will find out more. I mean, the world and his wife would be Googling the prognosis of the certain 100%. cancer as well, wouldn't they? So, And then that would be on the cover of every newspaper. So that's something to consider too. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, at the end of the day, this is a man who's 75, yeah. you know, he doesn't necessarily want his 
private medical details scrutinised in the amount of detail that they almost certainly are being anyway. I think that it's understandable that he wants to keep a little back. But then, you know, since the news broke, we've had a lot of briefing and questions back and forth with the palace. They've been very clear on some things. And what my main takeaway is that actually his role is not going to be that heavily impacted by this. Interestingly, it was left to Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, to say that it had been caught in an early stage and that the prognosis was good. I thought that was very telling because it's not the kind of thing he would have said without the nod sure. from royal officials. Um, well, he it, wouldn't have known, would he? So Indeed. Yeah. So, And it came from him rather than them. So it's an interesting way of spreading out the news, but also doubling down on that sort of reassurance. Mm. And I was talking to somebody about this yesterday and actually looking at the statement carefully, you see that there is words like he's wholly positive about his treatment. He intends to fully carry out his duties. It's only the public facing stuff that is being postponed. And I think that's totally understandable. You know, most people going through cancer treatment are not going to be feeling their best. No. Some forms of treatment put you at high risk of infection, exhaustion, things like that. So it absolutely makes sense that he's not doing this, but he is still attending Privy Council meetings. He'll be holding his regular audience with Rishi Sunak. He'll be doing all the constitutional work that his role requires. We just won't see him out on a walkabout for a while. How much insight do you think we're going to get into his treatment plan? You know, like if he's having chemo or radiation therapy or anything like that. I mean, are we going to be informed of that or do you think it's going to... I'm not expecting any further updates on really? that for the foreseeable. I mean, it may be that he chooses to share that in the fullness of time, but mm. I think it's a lot for anyone to go through. Yeah. And while I'm sure people close to him are being kept abreast of it, it's not something that he want to update us on in, in minute detail. Absolutely. You know, like on a sort of, I don't want to get all emotional about it, but it's just so sad. You know, he's barely been in the he's job that he's waited for, for. Yeah, for, 17 months into the rain. And, yeah. you know, and I've said this a few times this week. I think that there were question marks about how he could possibly fill his late mother's shoes. And actually, I think he's really steadied the ship. You know, yeah. he has been a safe pair of hands. People have found themselves looking very favourably towards him. Anecdotally, right, you know, people who I wouldn't expect to be fans of members of the royal family, because I have friends who aren't into the royal family. <laughs> no, um, you, I don't I believe do. it, no. Um, I think people have been really pleasantly surprised yeah. by how much they like the king. And, and in a weird way, I think that this diagnosis has been, I hate to use the word humanising, because of course he's a human being, but there's not a person in the country or probably listening to this podcast who hasn't in some way been affected by Can't cancer. Can't relate to it, yeah. And so everyone can identify with that and everyone can have sympathy for someone in that position, whether or not they're the head of state or your ordinary Joe blogs in the street. Absolutely. And I mean, what impact do you think this is going to have on his reign? Because I've been seeing, and I actually want you to clarify this for me if that's okay, I've been hearing the word regency, I've been hearing William taking over duties. What is a regency for me and uh, listeners who might not know? Well, well, and they... will that be happening? Yeah, no, no danger of a regency anytime soon. The Regency Act is in place to make sure that the constitutional role of the monarch can be carried out by someone deputising for him. Right. If, if so he or William. she is incapacitated in any way. Well, he has councillors of state, that's various members of the family, who are able to step in mm. if 
he were to be incapacitated in any way, or even if he was overseas on duty and something urgent needed attending to. Okay. Now, they are Prince William, Queen Camilla, Princess Anne, Prince Edward, and then also, technically, councillors of state, still Prince Andrew, Prince Harry and Princess Beatrice. Now, this harks back to their places in the line of succession, but an amendment has been made to the Regency Act since the beginning of the King's reign, which means that only people who are working members of the family can step in for him. Right. What's really important to note, though, is the palace has made it absolutely clear that no councillors of state have been asked to step in. So we really are a long way from that. So obviously, one of the major things that's happened since we've heard about the diagnosis is that Harry has flown from California to see his father. I mean, is this going to be the beginning of um, a reconciliation with him and his dad and his brother? I mean, was the visit welcome, dare I say? Like, what can you tell us? Well, look, what I've been told is that the king will have been enormously touched by Harry's gesture And it was very much Harry's decision. And this is, let's not forget, a son who hasn't spent any really meaningful time with his father for more than a year. And however difficult their relationship has been, something like this makes you put that to one side and focus on reconnecting. And I think that's only to be praised. You know, I think that's something that the king will absolutely have welcomed. But I do think this is not the situation in which they can start to really build bridges. It's it's something that's going to need a lot more time, I think. But you know, nevertheless, a really nice moment, I think, and good to see Harry back here. However briefly, I think he was only on the ground for 25 hours in the UK. Right. But I'd like to think that that will pave the way to further meetings and more contact. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And obviously this news for William as well. I mean, with Kate obviously being in recovery too, I mean, it's all happened at once and leaving him with an awful lot on his plate. I mean, how do you think he's doing? William, look, I think, let's not beat around the bush, he has got a lot. He's shouldering a lot of responsibility. He's concerned about his father. He's concerned about his wife. He had to return to duties this week. It was planned. But I think he felt the pressure even more, obviously, knowing about his father's diagnosis. And I just think it's great that he's kind of approached it with humour. You know, he was at a London Air Ambulance Scala on Wednesday this week with Tom Cruise, as you are. Cash, yeah. As you are, joking about the fact that, you know, it had been very medically focused in the last few days and that he wanted to go to an air ambulance event to get away from it all. Uh-huh. It's fair to say the past few weeks have had a rather medical focus So I thought I'd come to an air ambulance function to get away from it all. So I think that shows that they're using humour and grit and determination just like any other family. So many do, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, they don't have the benefit of being able to do this all behind closed doors, so... Sort of remarkable, isn't it, from him that, yeah, go out and put on a brave face even when it's so much is happening in your personal life, yeah. Exactly. There's so much we could talk about. We've only got a short time today. So should we introduce our first guest, our only guest? Yes, let's welcome our guest, royal journalist and author Robert Jobson, who I believe is a friend of yours, Emily. He certainly is. And he is the author of King Charles, The Man, The Monarch and The Future of Britain. So he knows his stuff about the king. Amazing. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Rob, thank you so much for joining us again on a Right Royal podcast. Never a dull moment in the royal family, is there? Yeah, I think people were thinking they were going to have a quiet spring, but no, never a dull moment. I think someone once said reporting royalty is like waiting for a bus. It all comes along 
at the same time when you don't know what's going to hit you. But it's been incredibly busy, obviously quite traumatic and seismic news really on the King with the cancer diagnosis. And then, of course, we were dealing with the abdominal surgery, the obviously very serious surgery on Catherine the Princess of Wales. So it's been a very uh, difficult time, I'm sure, for the royal family too. Yeah, I mean, it does seem that it has come as a real shock to the royal family, which, you know, it surprises me because I always thought that the royals would have like regular checkups for these things like all the time. I mean, are we silly for thinking that they have this sort of extra healthcare that the rest of us don't really bother with? Because it does seem to have taken them all quite by surprise. I don't think we're silly to think that. I think they do have regular checkups. They do have a doctor with them, travelling with them when they're on tour. They do have these things. But, I mean, you know, with regards to cancer, if you open up to have an, you know, you have a procedure or an operation, a lot of things can be discovered that they can't detect. And that has clearly happened with the king and with the princess of Wales. Well, you know, she was obviously struggling with something and uh, had to go in and have it dealt with. So I think, you know, health, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're royal or not or if you're a multi-billionaire or not. You know, the reality is it can affect you at any time and this is what's happened here. It was a bit of a shock to us as well covering this beat, Robert, wasn't it? Because we sort of were reassured, I suppose, by news that the king had this benign condition. He'd undergone his procedure. He was seen out and about at Sandringham. How much do you think the palace can have been prepared for this outcome? Well, I, I expected him to go into hospital for a couple of days. And when he came out, he spent three nights there. When it did emerge, I, I must admit, the way they were emphasising benign procedure, and it was all emphasis on being tr- open and transparent, I always get slightly after 35 years of doing this, I slightly get more sceptical about what they're telling us. And I did think that there might have been something else ongoing. But when this news broke that there was going to be an announcement, I must admit, I thought it was about Catherine. I didn't think it was going to be about the king. I thought the king had been in and out and he'd been dealt with and was going to go back to work. But this is, in terms of monarchy, huge. Because, you know, a constitutional monarchy, parliamentary democracy, depends on one person. The only person that really counts is the king, the sovereign. Mm. Everything else is nice. It's good PR, charity work mingling with people, doing things on the wider scale. But they can always get other people to be colonels and chief. They can always get other people to be patrons of charity. So in terms of the constitution, it's the king. And of course, in the last 10 years or so, he's been playing a very important role uh, as the queen, becoming increasingly frail is probably the nicest way of putting it. He was doing an awful lot of the heavy lifting and he was dealing with a lot of what he would do as king on behalf of his mother. So for it to happen like this now, at his moment of destiny, so short into the reign, when he had, I think, showed everybody what a safe pair of hands he is. He's proven to be a great statesman, somebody who is clearly well-grounded. And when you look around the world, the people that are leaders, he's clearly a leader. You know, he's someone with wide experience. And yet, all of a sudden, things seem shaky because... You know, we've just been through the death of a monarch and now we're facing a serious illness of the current king. And it does make one feel a little that we're facing a challenge that's going to come up next, which could be quite seismic, I think. Do you think that is why they haven't disclosed what kind of cancer he has? Because obviously that will lead to further speculation of prognosis and, and so on. 
There'd be speculation, whatever. And I think he's been very transparent by even saying he was in for a procedure for his prostate and then saying it's not prostate, but it's another form of cancer. There's a limit, really. I mean, he's a human being. He's entitled to his privacy of for his health. But equally, what this can do is increase speculation. And when Prince Harry decided to jump on a plane and come over, actually that heightened the significance of what we're all... Until that point, you know, you can believe the chosen narrative of the palace. Everything is hunky-dory. But the reality is that seems to suggest it wasn't. And, of course, that increases speculation. I think that they've been pretty open to the public and maybe they want to get through a period of treatment and to see how he responds to treatment before giving any more detail. But I do expect that they will probably tell, or it will come out and the newspaper will run it, of what cancer he's got at some stage. Going back to your point there, Rob, I know we've had a conversation about this already, but Harry's decision to come, as you say, actually rang alarm bells for some people because the last time we saw him jump on a plane that quickly was when he was heading up to Scotland to see the late Queen. Oh, blimey. Do you think that the palace will have been concerned about that move on his part, like putting aside the family dynamic that's going on here, because let's let's say... You mean like the optics? Yeah, I mean, let's say, first off, this is a son who's concerned about his father. There can be absolutely no criticism of that. But that probably wasn't in their playbook, was it, when they discussed how they were going to announce this? Absolutely. He took it upon himself to come. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And that meant that the king was waiting, kicking his heels at Clarence House when he wanted to go up to Sandringham. And um, look, I'm sure they had a very short but cordial meeting. But, you know, there hasn't been much conversation. There's been a lot of claims of closeness, but there hasn't been very much dialogue between them whatsoever in the last two years. Really not very much at all. I mean, he came to the coronation, but I don't think there's been very much conversation since. And I think that, you know, when there was talk that he reached out to his father, he may well have reached out to William, and he may as well, and Kate, and he reached out to his father ahead of this, but it doesn't mean they grabbed his hand when he reached out. You know, on the human level, he's five and a half thousand miles away. Here, your father's got cancer and you're not on the best of terms with him. All you want to do is, whatever's gone on before, you want to get over there, give him a hug and a kiss and tell him you love him. And hopefully that's what's happened. But that doesn't resolve the issues between them. Uh, Those issues were quite serious. Just just to turn up, you know, on your first-class flight, come wandering in, (laughs) you may be welcome, but not necessarily with... With, with open arms. Well, Rob, my next question was going to be whether you think a situation like this would be the only sort of way that Harry could potentially reconcile with his dad and his brother. But, I mean, I'm getting the impression that you don't think it's on the cards. I mean, what do you make of that? There's more chance of a reconciliation with his dad, of sorts. Right. But remember, he was very insulting to his dad, the king, the king's wife. Not necessarily... You know, he wasn't insulting necessarily to the king. I mean, I think actually he was fairly tame in that book, Spare Against the King. But he wasn't particularly tame against Camilla. And so there's no love lost there. Mm. And also he was very insulting, not only calling William a bully, but also it was critical of his wife. And now it's very difficult for these guys then to sort of say, well, yeah, we're going to build bridges. Because they're the Navy, they've got the dynamic of their own families. And we must stop thinking of William and Harry... As boys, everyone, I had it the other day on, on social media, Di, leave Diana's boys alone. One of them's 41 and the other one's 39. Yeah. <laughs> they are men. And the, and I feel actually it's probably about time 
William has certainly realised this and the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He's going to be the king at some stage. Could be sooner, could be later. We don't know. He doesn't know either. Let's pray to the Lord that that's not the case, but it could happen any time. Rob, going back to William, what you said there, I think it's quite interesting, and I certainly I've been asked this plenty of times this week, is he going to step up? Is there going to be a regency? Is there going to be an abdication? I think it's really important to stress that while William is doing a few more engagements, probably on behalf of his father, there's no sort of plan to parachute him in, is there? No, I mean, there won't be a regency, there won't be an abdication. I'm absolutely certain of that, because the king, you know, is an incredibly bright man. He can fulfil his constitutional responsibilities before he's had his boiled egg in the morning. He's probably gone through the red box. You know, the point of it is a very sharp mind. Now, will he be able to see the Prime Minister? Yes, he will. Will he be able to do some of the other face-to-face things, such as meeting ambassadors and taking their credentials? Well, that's something William probably could do. As for investitures, all himself, William, the as king now, as, as it, but the Prince of Wales as he was, and Princess Royal were already doing that to support the king. And should he be needed? Yes, William could deputise at Chogham, the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in, in Samoa, which, of course, the king did for the queen in Rwanda. You know, so there is a system in place that doesn't require a regency. And I don't think it will get to that stage in any way, because that, I think that's more to do with mental infirmity than it is necessarily physical mm-hmm. infirmity. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the king mentally. He's dealing with his issue with the cancer. But that said, there is a mechanism in place should it be needed. There is no need for an abdication. That's why people, when I've heard people on so-called experts go on television talking about it, they, they don't even seem to understand that there's a statute called the Regency Act that's in place for this very situation. The reason that last abdication happened was nothing to do It was practically a bloodless coup ahead of the war. So it was nothing to do with the need for a regency. It was the fact that the king was not suitable and the government didn't believe Edward VIII was suitable. So that doesn't come into play here in any way, shape or form. Stepping up, William probably will do once it gets to a situation where the treatment is probably at its height. I would imagine if the king is under duress, under major stress, William will step up to do certain engagements. Overseas visits, we know, are planned for Canada, for Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, as well as Samoa. Now, that's going to be a tricky thing for William, but he may have to do some of these things on his own because clearly his own wife is is recovering from major Mm. surgery and she has three young children to deal with. So, you know, it may be a lot for him to deal with. But William, at 41, a very fit young man, military trained, will, I believe... Um, absolutely not let anybody down and and step up to what is required, should he be required. At this moment in time, constitutionally, he's not having to do anything. And I think that's quite worth stating. In this moment in time, the king is very much the sovereign of this nation and the head of the Commonwealth, and he's continuing to do that work. I mean, I was going to say, how do you think this year compares to 1992's Annus Horribilis? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's been a really bad, bad <laughs> year so far. No, no, and I was there in 1992. It's a different type of crisis, I think. 1992 was all sort of, shall we say, as the Queen said, it was all self-inflicted, mm. uh, really. We had the collapse of marriages. But only thing there that was a difficulty, really, in, if you look back at it, it was 
the separation of Charles and Diana because that had constitutional implications. And what the king, I think, is trying to do when he's talking about slimmed-down monarchy is not re- necessarily reduce the influence of the monarchy, but to reduce the cost of the monarchy and to reduce this whole big circus that goes on around the monarchy, like who can be invited where, 1,700 royals turning up at the Chelsea Flower Show. You know, The point of it is, and having all these people on the balcony, as it stands going forward with the plan that he had, or has, the Duchy of Lancaster and the Duchy of Cornwall will effectively pay for the royals' day-to-day lives, and they will only pay for travel and security out of the public purse. But the reality is... It's honing it down to be a fit-for-purpose constitutional monarchy rather than a hugely expensive, criticised by the media in many ways, institution because it's too expensive. And therefore, he's Mm -hmm. trying to avoid that expense because the landed trust, where he can turn around and say, are actually paying for the core royal family. But as it's now standing, a lot of weight is now, uh, the expectation is on William's shoulders and he must be feeling rather like her late majesty, the Queen Elizabeth, when she was Princess Elizabeth at 25, suddenly being catapulted into this job, which, in all honesty, means becomes all-consuming. The other person who is going to be shouldering a lot of this responsibility is the Queen. And you obviously know her well. How do you think she is responding to this crisis? Well, I saw her the other day, and she was in good form, a job. I think she's going to spend a lot of time with the King, supporting him. I, I know she says she'll continue a full programme of events, but I think that we shouldn't expect her to suddenly evolve into Princess Anne. I think that Princess Anne is a completely different situation. You know, She's been doing this since she was a kid, and then she's, and she's got clearly the Duke of Edinburgh's genes in terms of an ability to just keep going on. The Queen, as it stands, does about half those engagements of Princess Anne, and she, a lot of those are joint engagements. I think that she's also got to be, we've got to remember, she's 76. We've also mm-hmm. got to remember that she's got to pace herself. And I know that she was probably telling the King to slow down, but she's got to be aware that, you know, at 76, and the people around her have got to be aware, they, they have to really probably organise these schedules in maybe in a slightly different way. And the other thing I was going to say is that At this moment in time, we don't really have a clear resolution as to what happens constitutionally. Say, heaven forbid, something happens to His Majesty, then the Queen effectively is retired. I mean, she will become the Dowager Queen and she'll probably go off to Burke Hall and you won't really see her. Then it'll be William and and Catherine who'll be King and Queen. Should anything happen to William, heaven forbid, you have a child, George, who isn't of age and you've got to work out who will be the person who would step in. It wouldn't be Catherine. It would have to be Prince Edward or Princess Anne to act as some form of regent. And that's where the Slimtown monarchy has become a bit more of an issue because if you look at it like that, you're waiting. The heir to the throne is a schoolboy. It's really a matter of what bodies are there to fulfil the obligations of state. Look, there's so much to talk about, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us at short notice in what was an incredibly busy week. Thank you, Rob. always a joy to speak to you, Rob, and we hope to welcome you back again soon. I feel like Rob was such a great person to discuss this with. He's a real wealth of knowledge, isn't he? He's been doing it for such a long time. In 35 years on the Royal Beat, he has seen it all. But even, you know, by his standards, this week has been quite 
different. I mean, yeah, I mean, he went through Anis Horribilis and then oh, he still it. Ah, got there in the end. <laughs> and uh, and still this is sort of unprecedented first year year of firsts for sure. Yeah, do you know, I could just do with a bit less unprecedented yeah. stuff now. Yeah. It feels like we've had a lot. Yeah, I agree with you, I agree with you. And I feel like we could talk about this for much longer than what we have time for, but I think we have to wrap up. Well, we'll be back next week, I believe. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for joining us for another episode of A Right Royal Podcast. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out our entertainment podcast, The Daily Lowdown, on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.